uh, as our time to spend in the Word. So if you have your Bibles, please open with me to the Gospel of Jonah. Turn with me to the Gospel of Jonah, the Old Testament prophet. If you know where Matthew is, go backwards. Seven books. Some of you are smiling because I called it the Gospel of Jonah. I did that on purpose. It was very intentional. Um, For this morning, we get to witness more good news from the Lord. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 17, and we're going to read through chapter chapter 2 in its entirety, beginning in 117 through Jonah chapter 2. And as you're turning, consider... Consider this question. What would you do three days and three nights in the belly of a whale? How would you spend your time? You're you're constricted. It's acidic. It's humid. You're in the belly of a whale. What do you do? How do you pass three days and three nights? You you basically have two options. One option is this. Um, You can kind of bemoan your circumstances. You, you You can have your focus so narrow... And so immediate upon your environment, you can, you can complain. It's uncomfortable. I'm slightly claustrophobic. I really don't enjoy being in here. And that little, that little angel on your shoulder says, if God really loved you, would he put you in the belly of a whale? And so one option is, 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 is to be moaned, to complain. The other option is this. Remember, we're coming off the context of, of Jenna's rescue, being rescued by this whale. The other option is to offer worship. And to offer praise, isn't it? Right? Because the alternative is what? The alternative is death. He could have stayed in the sea and as the waves and the, and, and the wind and, and the billows roll, Jonah was, was at, at death's doorstep and he was rescued by God in this whale. So the other option is, is to worship. Right? What would you do? Jonah's going to show us this morning in our passage what to do when you are experiencing this severe grace of God. Let's read and find out. This is Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, ending in verse 10 of chapter 2. This is God breathed. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and especially now, Holy Spirit, You are present at creation, and by the words of Your mouth, the creation was brought into existence. 
And by the word of your power, storms are, are calmed, wind will cease, and rain will stop. Speak now, Spirit. Speak now and change our hearts. Work another miracle. Cause our eyes to see yet another glimpse of God's severe and great grace towards His people and His creation. Allow the scales to fall from our eyes. Illumine our minds. Take our prayers. Take our time on the Word. Take this service. And now use it for your sake and your purposes and to your ends, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It was a forgettable movie. It didn't win any awards. Um, it wasn't a real blockbuster. People weren't lining around the corners to watch this movie. It was, it's a forgettable movie. Um, but there's an unforgettable scene in this particular film, and I want to share it with you this morning. And the movie is called At First Sight. It's an old movie, about 20 years old now, and it stars Val Kilmer. And, and the story goes, goes like this. It's a story about a man who, who grew up blind. He spent his entire childhood entirely blind. He didn't lose it at an early age. He never had sight. And so he had to live life by his other senses, by, by, by sound and, and by touch. He had never seen a sunset. He had never seen a painting. And about halfway through the movie, through the, like this, this miraculous medical procedure, uh, his sight is, is immediately restored. And the rest of the movie kind of accounts for, for life after sight, life after new vision. And I learned something from this movie, and I want to share it with you this morning. And, and I didn't realize it until I saw this movie, but uh, you have to learn how to see. You have to learn how to see. Now, what do I mean? Now, most of us learned how to see at a very early age. We were children, we were babies, when we realized the difference between something that's near and far away. When we learned depth perception, when we learned colors, we kind of take it for granted. But imagine you have, you have been blind your entire life, and suddenly, some, somewhere around the age 30, you're, you're given sight immediately. There's a scene in the movie that captures this idea perfectly. This, this character, played by Val Kilmer, is standing on, on the side of a street, and for the first time, he's not only hearing a truck and feeling the vibrations in the ground, but he's seeing a truck get ready to pass him on the road. And while the truck is about 25, 30 feet from him, he's in no danger. He, he, he freaks out. He's never seen a truck before, and he's never seen a truck coming towards him. And so he cringes, he reacts, he flinches. He has to learn how to see. Just because you have vision doesn't mean you know how to see. It has to be learned. And what I want to suggest this morning uh, in our passage is we have a very similar situation. Our prophet Jonah is about to receive spiritual LASIK surgery, where once he was blind, now he sees. Where once he could not see something, he now has 20, 20 vision. Now remember, he's been three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. He's, he's rebelled against God. He's told God no and in an attempt at, at suicide, he has cast himself into the depths of the sea until, until one thing happens. God scoops him up with a whale. God appoints a deliverer. He appoints a rescuer to come and swallow up Jonah and protect him from the sea. I suggested a couple weeks ago that to be in the belly of a whale is a good thing. We tend to think, you know, oh, you know, if I'm in a rebellion, don't want to be in the belly of a whale. No, no, no. To be in the belly of a whale is to be rescued by God. It's to see God as not just severe, but it's to see God as severely gracious. 
And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that Jonah, for the first time, is being awakened to God's grace. Where once he was blind to God's grace, now he sees things as they truly are. He sees life as it truly is. That he was a rebel and he is now being saved by a severe grace. Under our passage this morning, we have a song. We have a prayer of Jonah. And what I want us to look at this morning are a couple aspects of this prayer. And with this sort of categories in mind, how do you know if you're blind to grace? How do you know if you, like Jonah, are, are truly awakened to grace, are truly resting in God's severe grace? How do you know? Is there any evidence that we might see in our life? How do you know? Or, or am I still blind to grace? There's three things I want to show us uh, from this passage this morning. How to know that you're not blind to grace, but you've got 2020 vision. So if you're keeping notes, here's, here's the three points. First thing is this, is grace is restorative. Grace restores. By nature, it will restore. And we'll explain what that means here in a minute. Second, grace is dynamic. It will cause something. It's dynamic. And lastly, grace is personal. Grace restores. It's restorative. Grace is dynamic. And grace is personal. First, what does it mean that grace is restorative? How, how does it restore, restore? What is it restoring? Look with me again at verses 1 and, and verses 4. And, and notice this. Remember this. Remember what Jonah was willing to forfeit in chapter 1. Remember what he is willing to put on the altar to rebel. And now notice the change. Notice what Jonah says in verses 1 and verses 4. Look with me again at these two verses. Then Jonah prayed. That should stand out. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his, his God from the belly of the fish. Verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple now remember back to chapter 1. Remember what Jonah was willing to put on the altar in order to, to fund this rebellion. God says, Jonah, arise. Go to Nineveh. Go 100 miles to the northeast. Jonah says, absolutely not. I have a philosophical uh, difference of opinion with you. I, I think those people are too evil. They do not deserve your grace. Therefore, I'm going 1,000 miles to the southwest. And explicitly what we hear being expressed in chapter 1 of Jonah, it says this three times. Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He went to Tarshish because he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. He no longer wanted to be in service. He was giving God the pink slip saying, I, I no longer want my office. I don't want this. Explicitly what Jonah is saying is, is, Lord, I'm done with you. I'm done with this relationship. I want to be autonomous. Explicitly that's what he's saying. Implicitly there's something else going on here too. And we're given a glimpse of it with this word temple. Explicitly, he's, he's forfeiting his relationship with the Lord. He wants to forfeit that. But you know what else he's forfeiting? He's forfeiting his relationship with the church, with God's people. Remember what the temple was. The temple was a place created for, for the worship of God. It was his promised presence. And you have the Ark of the Covenant and the, the Ten Commandments inside of it. And God's people would collect. They would come together and they would sing songs together. And they would worship together. And Jonah, as he's fleeing, as he's leaving the borders of Israel, he's saying, not only, God, am I forfeiting you, but I'm also forfeiting your people. I'm going this rebellion alone. I want nothing to do with them. 
And then we know what happens with Jonah. He rebels. He's cast into the sea and he's rescued by God and he experiences God's severe grace. He believes that he has been rescued by God by means of a fish. And notice now the change in his language in verse 1. Three things I want us to see here as Jonah is being restored to God and being restored to God's people. The first point is this in in, in verse 1. It says that Jonah prayed. Jonah finally prays. Our our prophet finally bows the knee and our prophet finally goes to God. And this this, this should cause a great alarm in our minds because for the entire first chapter of Jonah... He's been given multiple opportunities to pray, multiple opportunities to go before God, and he doesn't. Remember, God says, go to Nineveh. That would have been a great time for Jonah to say, Lord, I'm not okay with this. I'm really having trouble with this, but he doesn't pray. There's a storm on the sea, and his bed is kicked by the sailor, and the sailor says, wake up, you sleeper. Call out to your God. Does Jonah pray? No. The lots are cast. He's thrown into the sea, and you'd think, man, surely now Jonah's going to pray. He doesn't pray. What is it then that causes Jonah to pray? What is it then that causes Jonah's sight to shift? What is it that causes Jonah to flee to his God? What is it? It's his severe grace. It's this fish. It's being rescued by God. To prove the point further, look, look, at, how, look at the pronouns in verse 1. He says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Finally, this God that he was fleeing from, is now his God. He's being restored back to God, but not only to God, but also to his people. In verse 4 it says, Shall I then look again upon your temple? And, and long story short, this, this one little passage of the Scripture is hard to interpret. Uh, if you're looking at a, at a different version of your Bible, it might come in the form of a question. Well, Lord, will I ever see the temple again? Will I ever see the ark Will I ever hear the songs collectively sung by your people? Lord, have, not only have I forfeited my relationship with you, but I've also forfeited my relationship with your people. And what we see is this turn in Jonah, a turn back to God and a turn back to his people. And there's something that causes it. And I want to suggest to you this morning that it's, it's God's severe grace. It's this great fish couple questions I want us to wrestle with. They're, they're diagnostic. How do you know if you're still blind to grace? Or how do you know that you're seeing it 2020? How do you know if you're still blind to God's grace? Well, consider this question. When you, when you are in your own belly of the whale, and when you're experiencing God's severe grace, do you want Jesus, or do you just want to get out of the bad situation? You've got two mortgages. You're without a job. You're without a child. Is, is, is your security in removal from the situation, or are you fleeing to Jesus? You see, if God is just severe, all you'll ask from Him is just to be removed from the severe situation. But if, if, if you're seeing an event as, as, as God being severely gracious towards you, you get God. Notice here when Jonah prays, does he pray to to be delivered from the whale? No, he doesn't. He already thanks God that he's been delivered from the sea. There's no request here except that he would be restored unto God and be restored unto his people. The second question is this. Close your eyes and look behind you. 
And, and by reputation, and, and by reputation, are there a, is there a trail of dead relationships behind you? Now, I'm not saying if, if there is unresolved conflict in, in your past, that might mean you're blind to grace. No. But I am asking this. Is that your reputation? When things get hard and when things get difficult and you enter into conflict with somebody, is it your knee-jerk reaction? Is it easy for you to say, well, there are tons of other people out there. I don't need you. I'm moving on to another group of friends. You may not say that to them. You may not say that out loud. But if you're honest with yourself and you look at your past, there is a trail of broken relationships behind you. And if that's the case, friends, you might be blind to grace. You too might be blind to grace. Not only is grace restorative, not only does when we truly recognize God's severe grace, we find ourselves restored to Him and other people, it's also dynamic. It also causes something. Look with me at verse 9, and, and notice what Jonah does in response to God's grace. Notice what Jonah does in response to this, this great fish. Verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. It is no irony here that the actual words and the actual disciplines and the actual means by which Jonah is going to worship the Lord by means of vows and sacrifices are the exact same means or the exact same disciplines that the pagan sailors used as they experienced the severe grace of God. Remember, the storm came. And for sailors to be scared of a storm must tell you the level of the storm it was. It was intense. It was great. So much that these seasoned sailors were afraid for their very lives, and they dump their cargo. And when they obey the Lord, and when they offer Jonah as a sacrifice, the sea calms, the wind stops, the rain ceases. And what do they do? They pray. They pray to Yahweh. They pray to the covenant God. And they offer vows. And they offer sacrifices. Friends, what I want to suggest to you this morning is this, the, the greater we start understanding and the more we start understanding not just God's severity, but God's severe grace, the greater our worship will be. Those two feed off of each other. And let me see if I can illustrate it this way. I went to a concert about two years ago, one of my favorite bands. And uh, they've been around for decades, uh, very, very well known. And, and the concert started with a few of their, their, their hits, their favorite songs, few of my favorite songs. And then after about three songs, the lead singer came out to the edge of the stage and he asked for complete silence. He said, if you would, everybody just be quiet. I got something I need to say. And he waited, you know, several seconds while, while the crowd got really quiet. And he said only a, a few sentences, but here's what he said, and I'll never forget it. And I've had it in the back of my mind. I've been eager to use this as an illustration, and it fit perfectly this morning. He said, you've come here tonight. You've come to this concert and you, you have great expectations of me. He said, I want you to know I know that. And, and I did. I had certain songs I wanted to hear him sing. I had certain albums I wanted them to sing from. I had big expectations. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said this, but know this. He said, I have come to this. I have come here tonight with great expectations of you. You have come here to expect things of me, and that's fair. But know this. I, I've come here tonight, and I expect great things from you. And he says, shall we play some more music? And what, what happened was, was amazing. I'm up in the nosebleeds because I couldn't afford you know, tickets down on the floor. But as the people on the floor started cheering, 
And as the people on the floor started getting excited about the music the band was feeding off of it, they were playing harder and more passionately. And the more passionate they got about it, and, and the louder they got, the louder the people that got, the louder the people in the crowd got, and it was going back and forth and back and forth. And suddenly you had this, this, this event that was just unexplainable, but just full of passion and full of glory. And you're just going, that's amazing. <laughs> How did that happen? I want to suggest to you this morning, and I want to qualify this so we don't leave here confused about what I'm saying, is, is you, you've come here with great expectations this morning. You have, and there is nothing wrong with that. There are things we need from the Lord. But there are great things expected of you this week as well. Now, what do I mean? What do I mean by that? I mean this. Have you ever come to church on, on a Sunday morning? Have you ever walked into these doors? And have you ever just said, it is going to take a work of God? It is going to take a miracle. It's going to take a fish. It's going to take something to get me out of this situation I'm in. You, you, you've come in here, and, and the last thing you feel like doing is singing to the Lord, praying to the Lord, listening for 30 minutes to a sermon. You just feel like, I can't do it, so I'm not going to. I'm going to check out. Are you already thinking about your shopping list for the week or, or your Home Depot run at the end of the day? Well, it's just too difficult. Or if you've given up, or maybe you haven't given up. Maybe you've come here and you've, you've, you've honestly said, it's going to take a lot of work for me to worship. And, and, and by the time Sunday's over, you're exhausted because you've stirred your affections. You've stirred your heart so much. You actually ask yourself, is it, is it worth it? Is it worth that level of energy? It is so hard to worship. Why? Why is it so hard to worship? Why is it so hard to come here on Sundays and, and, and enjoy, engage in what happens here? You want to know why? It's not because Jennifer didn't arrange the songs in the way that you like it. It's not because I didn't say the right words or didn't preach in, in the style that you like. You know why it's so hard for us to worship sometimes on Sunday mornings? It's because we think God is severe. And we don't think He's severely gracious. And what Jonah is teaching us here this morning is, is as he is now witness to the severe grace of God, he has been delivered by the hand of God Himself the greater you see God's grace, the greater it leads to worship. And if God is severe, and if our understanding of God's grace is limited or short, it will lead to weak worship. It will be difficult. I want to suggest to you this morning that what happens on the other six days has everything to do with what happens here on Sunday on this one day. I can't draw you into worship. I can't preach you into worship. The music team can't lead you into worship. How have you seen God act severely and graciously towards you this week? When that's at the front of your mind, when that is, that is on the front of your lobes, there is nothing we can do to keep you from worshiping here on Sunday mornings. Absolutely nothing. It is your understanding, your ability to capture and, and, and willingly submit to the severity of God's grace and go, that's why I worship. It's because I've been saved. I saw it happen a couple weeks ago, and it was on Facebook of, of all places. We've been praying for Jude Morrison for now a long time, and, and he has um, had several surgeries that were life-threatening, and we've seen the Lord work miraculously. There's no better word for it. And we've seen the Lord work sovereignly. And we have seen the Lord offer mercy and wisdom to doctors 
and to nurses. And we've seen him intubated and extubated and intimated and extubated. And finally now, it looks as if he's not, the coast is not clear yet, but we've seen God act graciously towards Brian and Rose and Jude. Remember our definition of grace. It's the unearned favor of God. Jude hasn't done anything to earn this favor by God, and God's under no obligation to give it, but He's done it. And you know what you guys did on Facebook? You know what y'all did on Facebook? Underneath that post by, by Rose, you said, praise the Lord. You said, thank God. Do you see what causes worship? Do you see what causes true spiritual worship of the one living and true God? It's not the right songs. It's not the right style of worship. It's your ability to capture and admit that God is being severely gracious towards you and it is undeserved. That's what leads you to worship. Isn't that freeing? So the question to you this week is, what has God done? How have you seen Him work? And if you're here this morning and it's taking every ounce of effort, I can sympathize. I've been there too. But it might be that you too are blind to God's grace. You too might be blind to God's grace. Last point is this. Grace is finally personal. What do I mean by personal? Look with me at verse 9. Listen to how Jonah concludes his prayer. How Jonah ends things. And this is the moment right before he's spit out uh, by the fish. Just five words. Remarkable words. I think we could preach three different sermons just on this, on this one verse. But here's, here's how he ends the song. Here's how he ends the prayer. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There is only one person who has the right to govern and manage life and death, and it is not me. It is Yahweh. And let me, let me suggest to you this morning, this is a shift Jonah has exhibited everything but this belief and this behavior in the previous chapter. Remember, Jonah said, oh, you want me to go to Nineveh? Not going to happen. You want me to go share God's grace? I think salvation rests in Jonah. You want me to go there? I'm not going there. I'm going this way. Jonah thought salvation belongs to Jonah. Jonah thought salvation, life, and death belonged to him. Also in this fact... Remember, he's on the boat and his rebellion is so deep. His anger with the Lord is so entrenched that he said, I would rather die than obey. Cast me into the sea. He thought he was Lord over life and death. He thought he could withhold life from Nineveh. He thought he could take his own death. And by his very own mouth, this is what Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. You can't say that unless you truly believe it. You can't say that unless you've truly experienced it. And for a lot of us, this idea of grace is something that this church has adhered to. It's something that this denomination has adhered to. It's a part of our theology. It's a rich part of it. But it's something that's out here. It's something that we aspire to, assent to, and say, yes, I believe in God, but I want to know, have you experienced the grace of God? Have you experienced it to the level that Jonah has? Have you been rescued from the depths of of the sea. I grew up in another denomination and we call this a testimony. Right? What has God done for you? What did God rescue you from? It's not cheesy. 
what you're doing is you're recognizing God's grace in your life. Yes, it was severe. Yes, it was in the belly of a whale, but the alternative was death. I was going down a dark road until the God, until God of the Scriptures became the subject of my narrative. Until He saved, until He rescued me from this. Isn't that what you want? Grace can't be this thing that resides out there that you see in other people's lives and something that you just assent to and believe in. It's very personal. What has the Lord saved you from? I want to close with this. The Gospel of Matthew begins, and it picks up with the story of Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus. And an angel visits Mary, and he gives her some instructions and some very helpful information about what's going to happen to her over the next nine months. But then this angel goes and visits Joseph. And you would think that if you were going to be an angel that was going to communicate to this guy what the angel is about to communicate, you would think this would be chapters long. But the angel says two things. Another scholar brought up this point. I want to give him credit for it. The angel tells Joseph two things. He says, don't divorce Mary. You have opportunity to, but don't divorce her. She's with child. It's not your child. It's not another man's child. It's the child of God. Don't divorce her. Marry her. Follow through with your wedding plans. And then the next request is is rather strange. The angel says, you know, you're going to have other sons. You're going to have other daughters, other offspring. But the Lord gets to name this child, not you. This is very important. Do not miss this. You must name this child Jesus. His name must be Jesus. The two things, all you need to know right now, Joseph, is this. Don't divorce your wife. And when the child comes, name it Jesus. You know what Jesus means? Salvation belongs to the Lord. The name Jesus means Yeshua. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And what this does is this throws a a wrench in our postmodern pipe where we would say, Jesus, yes, plus other things. Yes, there are many roads to God. There are many paths to God, like, like, the, like the spokes of a wheel all come together at one point. We get God through many different ways. And the gospel says, if you don't know Jesus, you're blind to grace. If you don't know Jesus, and if you don't know what He has done on your behalf, and what He has rescued you from, that He has rescued you from the grave and from death itself, if you do not know Jesus, you are blind to grace. I pray this morning that the Spirit would open your eyes, my eyes, to not just God's severity, but to His severe grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank You what You've done on behalf of Your servant Jonah. And Father, we would ask for new eyes to see. Father, there are perhaps things in our life that we're looking on in our past and and right now, we've, we've just put it under the category of severe. We, we've seen you work in severe ways, and the times were hard, and the times were difficult. Would you, by your grace, allow us to see what it saved us from? Would you allow us the courage to see what you saved us from, so that we may not boast in ourselves, and that we may boast in you and your power? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.